This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, we'll give it another uh, minute or so um, as people are walking in and trying to get to their meetings. By the way, just as a show of hands, how many of you, for you, is this your first GYC ever? Okay, so quite a bit of you. Okay, and how many of you have been to two or more GYCs? Okay, so it's about, about 50-50 there. Um, that's, that's good to know. Are you enjoying it thus far, by the way, for the newcomers? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, it looks like it's about time, and so we'll go ahead and get started. Um, just before we have a word of prayer, I want to share a little bit about who I am. I, my name is Andy M. I work in the Department of Campus Ministries for the Michigan Conference. Uh, some of you may know it by Campus, the Center for Adventist Ministry to Public University Students. Uh, I work with Israel Ramos, who actually founded uh, GYC, as well as Justin Kim. They're both colleagues that we work together. And also, some of you may also know uh, Siku Dako. And so uh, we have a really a privilege to, to work together. By the way, I have up here my contact information. If you have any questions or comments in regards to anything you hear, feel free to send me an email, and um, I may not answer it that day, but I'll certainly uh, get to uh, responding to you. So just want to uh, make note of that and before we move forward. Uh, we work with around seven or eight major public campus uh, secular universities in the state of Michigan. Uh, it's a work of in-reach, right, strengthening the faith of our Adventist students, but also a work of outreach and trying to impact those campuses with uh, the everlasting gospel. And so that's a little bit about who I am. Uh, let's go ahead and get started so we can delve right into this very uh, important um, topic, the Adventist worldview, what's shared. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege uh, to worship here and to learn together. We thank you so much for the morning message. We thank you so much for... Um, getting us here safely, and as we begin this seminar season, just want to pray that your Holy Spirit would flood not just this seminar, but every seminar, and also uh, the reaches beyond when those who listen to it on Audioverse and other uh, venues, we just pray that uh, your Spirit will speak not just to their hearts, but also to the very minds. And we thank you, Lord. We, we want to ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're, our topic for this morning is the Adventist worldview, uh, what's shared, meaning what we share in common with other Christians. Whoops. And uh, my emphasis is going to, going to be stressing the importance 
uh, and the need of developing a worldview and being intentional about that. And what I mean is um, to establish a belief system, right? Have a system of belief that forms your worldview. And we're going to discuss today the agreements we have with Christians broadly and then move towards what an Adventist worldview uh, might look like. I want to uh, point your attention to uh, a book that I was reading. Her name is Nancy Piercy. And this individual, uh, his name is Bill Wichterman, he said he lost his faith at an evangelical college. He lost his faith at an evangelical college. And Bill Wichterman is actually a uh, congressional chief of staff for one of the congressmen. And what he said was very enlightening. He said that his professors failed to relate uh, biblical understandings and, and assumptions to the subject matter that was being taught. And so, for example, when you, have, when you teach subjects like English, when you teach the humanities, the social sciences, like sociology, and so forth, what he stated was the professors failed to relate scripture to the content that they were learning in these other disciplines. Oftentimes, it's very natural to do that uh, in the sciences, but it was not done in those classes in particular, and, and that's a problem because it's in those classes that you begin to formulate a sense of identity, a sense of meaning, and your, your place within the world and your calling uh, in it. And so he ended up becoming an atheist because he came to the conclusion that Christianity had no intellectual foundation. Christianity had no intellectual foundation. But praise God, uh, he's not an Adventist, but he ended up studying his way back to God, and he read authors like C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer, Alvin Platinga, William Craig, some of the popular apologists that are out there. He studied his way back to God and eventually became a Christian. And Nancy Piercy uh, uh, spoke with him and shared his, uh, his testimony to her. I was reading an article in The Atlantic. So you have this Christian foundation that interviewed college non-believers okay, about how and why they left religion and some surprising themes emerge. And by the way, this study was conducted from your small, local community colleges all the way on up to the Harvards and the Yales and the Stanfords of the world. Okay? So it was very, a very broad study. And it's very interesting, some of the conclusions that came out of the study. Uh, if you notice here, Phil, one of the things he says is that church became all about ceremony, hand-holding, and kumbaya. By the way, is there anything wrong with kumbaya? Absolutely not. I mean, I love that song. It has a lot of meaning to me as a kid singing kumbaya. But this was the problem. It was just ceremony, hand-holding, and kumbaya. He said with a look of disgust, I missed my old youth pastor. He actually knew the Bible. He actually knew the Bible. Goes on to say, Phil, this now atheist, was once the president 
of his Methodist church's youth group. He loved his church. He loved his pastor. And most of all, his youth leader, Jim. Jim's Bible studies were particularly meaningful to him. He admired the fact that Jim didn't dodge the tough chapters or the tough questions. We're going to be dealing with some really, really tough questions. What do you do with the claims that God committed genocide when he commanded him to, his people to wipe out the Canaanites? Those are tough questions. And oftentimes what we do, and I don't want to say too much, is we, we sweep those under our holy rugs, right? And then we have these, these, this built-up angst that builds and builds. And a lot of times it reaches a, a point, a threshing point, where we can tip over to the other side and become atheists. So it's very important we don't dodge these tough questions and chapters. And Jim didn't do that. He didn't always have satisfying answers, Phil says, or answers at all. But he didn't run away from the questions either. By the way, this is, uh, uh, was published in 2013, not too long ago. goes on to say, this article, as the narrative developed, it became clear where things came apart for Phil. During his junior year of high school, the church, in an effort to attract more young people, wanted Jim to teach less and to play more. Friends, now, let me, let me just uh, say this as a qualifier. Is there anything wrong with playing? Absolutely not. We need to have fun to build community but it can't be the be-all and the end-all of church. Difference of opinion over this new strategy led to Jim's dismissal. He was replaced by Savannah, an attractive 20-something. Again, is there something wrong with being attractive? You see, I don't have that problem, and so, you know, I, I don't have that struggle. But there's nothing wrong with being attractive, right? But notice what the emphasis is here, is to, is to teach less, to play more. And according to Phil, she didn't know anything about the Bible. The church got what it wanted. The youth group, the youth group grew, but what happened? It lost Phil. And this is a problem that's taking place in churches, not just in the Adventist church, churches, but in churches across the United States, as illustrated here. Phil's story, while unique in its parts, was on the whole typical of the stories we would hear from students across the country. Slowly, a composite sketch of American college-age atheists began to emerge, and it would challenge all that we thought we knew about this demographic. Here is what we learned. And there's several things. Number one, that they had once attended church. Most of the participants had not chosen their worldview from ideologically neutral positions, but in reaction to Christianity itself. Not Islam, not Buddhism, but Christianity. In other words, they left Christianity because of Christianity not because of an appeal to atheism per se, but Christianity itself. That was the first point that they uh, concluded with. The second was that the mission and the message 
of their churches was very vague. One of the reasons why I really appreciate this year's theme for GYC is that it's very explicit that our church has a very clear mission and a very clear message to take to the world. And I believe that's very, very crucial to form an identity as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. But I don't want to jump ahead. So they had no mission, or the, the mission and the message of their churches was very vague. Jesus was just a slogan, a mascot, so to speak. Number three, they felt their churches offered superficial answers to life's difficult questions. Notice what it says, and just bear with me in this uh, reading here. It says, when our participants were asked what they found unconvincing about the Christian faith, they spoke of evolution versus creation, sexuality, the reliability of the biblical text. That's my, that was something I struggled with. Jesus as the only way, etc. Some had gone to church hoping to find answers to these questions. Others hoped to find answers to questions of personal significance and purpose and ethics. Serious-minded, they often concluded that church services were largely shallow, harmless, and ultimately irrelevant. As Ben, an engineering major at the University of Texas, so bluntly put it, I really started to get bored with church. It's really interesting that he got bored because church was fun. Did you catch that? He got bored with church because they tried to make it about fun, meaning that it had no meaning, no sense of calling and destiny for his life. It did not offer that to him. Number four, they expressed their respect, even though they were atheists. They expressed their respect for those ministers who took the Bible seriously. And five, and this is very, very important, especially if you're an academy teacher or you're a parent with children in high school, they noticed that ages 14 to 17 were decisive. Ages 14 to 17 were very decisive. By the way, just as a show of hands, how many of you are in the range of 14 to 17 in this room. Okay, so we have, I don't know, about 10, I would say about 10, uh, and I'm being a little generous. Wow, this is Generation Youth Christ, but um, our demographic's getting a little older and older. Actually, we go up to 35, technically. So, but parents, we need to listen up. Ages 14 to 17 were decisive. Number six, the decision to embrace unbelief was often coupled with an emotional factor, right? So they had issues with their, their father. They had issues with their mother who were cramming religion down their throat or they were living a life of hypocrisy. Uh, there were other factors that added to the, the, the more intellectual component. This one I find very interesting. If you notice that, that demographic, ages 14 to 17, where are they getting their information, a lot of their content? Well, they're getting it from uh, the Internet, right? So the Internet factored heavily into their conversion 
to atheism. So if you go to YouTube, you go to various websites, there's a lot of trash uh, out there and a lot of competition of ideas, a lot of competing ideas uh, out there. And, it, and all it takes is you clicking on one link and you can be led in a direction towards atheism. So you probably are getting the picture here and are seeing the challenge that we're confronted with. As Nancy Piercy, by the way, she's a worldview uh, specialist. She says this is a picture of, of, Stan, of Harvard. Uh, at every turn, from the classroom to the workplace to the internet, ideas contrary to Christianity are clamoring for our allegiance. And that's why it is so important for us as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, to have uh, a worldview. I want to share a, a biblical passage here in Luke chapter 10, verses 10, uh, uh, verses 25, 26, and, and through 28. And you know the verse very well. It says, the lawyer put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? And this man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. I'm going to do a little bit of blasting this morning, right? I think we as Christians, as Adventists, we do a very good job in emphasizing the, the devotional life. And rightly so. We need to have devotions every morning to be reading Scripture, to be communicating with God in nature. That stress is giving God all our heart and all our soul in our devotion to Him. And also in our strength, with all the capacities of health that we have as young people to go out and do the work of evangelism, that is very, very crucial and very important. But what often happens in our church is that we de-emphasize or we minimize the importance of solidifying a biblical understanding of, uh, of Scripture and a worldview that's also intellectually sound, coherent, and grounded in something that you, can, you and I can hang our hat on. And, and it's not just the distinctive. There's, there's much more about Adventism and Christianity that we need to develop as a system of truth so that we can see, uh, so that when, when we go out into the world, we have a system that, that uh, answers the questions that we're bombarded with. So I wanted to emphasize that, that we also need to love God with all our mind as well. One other point that I want to say to this, and, and that is this, we often think that, um, that, when we study about God, you study about God solely in the areas of theology and morality and ethics, right? And what, what has happened in our society is, is, is this, that we have kind of 
uh, separated uh, various disciplines of life. So, for example, you study about God and philosophy uh, and, and theology, but when it comes to sociology, when it comes to English, when it comes to these other subject matters, even in our own church institutions, we are failing, right? And this is not a criticism uh, per se. I'm not here to knock the, the church. I work for the church. I'm a part of the institution myself. But I think what we're failing to do is to engage those disciplines with a worldview that's immersed in Scripture and the spirit of prophecy. And that's one of the reasons why so many of our young people are leaving the church because when they go out and study this, these disciplines in other arenas and in other areas, they are left without a way to decipher and navigate through these, these ideas and assumptions that, that really uh, uh, are, are, are um, opposite to the biblical worldview. Charles Malick puts it this way, the problem, and I understand that this can be a, um, a controversial statement. I posted it on Facebook and, and, and I got some um, interaction there. Uh, the problem is not only to win souls, but to save minds. And the typical Adventist response will be, hey, no, it's all about evangelism. It's all about saving souls. Well, it is. But that also involves the capturing and the, the, the settling of the mind into truth so that it cannot be moved, right? He goes on to say, if you win the whole world but lose the mind of the world, you will soon discover that you have not won the world. You have not won the world. Think about it this way. There's a lot of people... And, and, and I, again, I, I want to be very careful with what I say. A lot of us um, go to, uh, we, we learn the Bible text and the doctrines, and we go out there and do a lot of work uh, without truly being grounded in the understanding of those things that we're teaching. And uh, it's very important that, that we're very mindful of that. So what is a worldview? We've been talking a lot about worldviews. This is one way to put it. Worldviews are like belly buttons. By the way, you notice I have a lot of backdrop pictures uh, on a lot of these slides. I, I thought it would be inappropriate to put a belly button uh, on that slide there. I think you'll appreciate that. I don't think there's a such a thing as a good-looking belly button. Uh, so worldviews are like belly buttons. Everyone has one, but we don't talk about them very often. That's very true, right? Uh, Worldviews have been likened to reading glasses. Uh, how many of you have sunglasses with the, what do they call it, polarization? Uh, how many of you have, like, looked through a polarized sunglass and, and, just, and, and you see things that you would not see otherwise? A worldview is, is like that, especially when it's uh, nuanced and grounded in truth. 
You're able to see things about the world that otherwise you would not be able to see, and it gives you a way of, of interpreting it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Another way of, of framing a worldview, it's a framework or set of fundamental beliefs through which we view the world and our calling and our future in it. And what are some of the features and qualities? Well, firstly, it's, it's largely pre-theoretical or presuppositional. In other words, you have a lot of assumptions about life uh, that you don't intentionally think about every time you make a decision. It's just, but it's a part of the process of how you view the world. In other words, it's what we think with, it's not what we think about, right? So let me, let me just uh, give you an example of this. You're in this room, right? Are you? you you're in this room, right? And, and, and we know we're in this room, but how do you really know that you're in this room, right? Empiricists today will question whether what is taking place right now is in fact really happening. And that's how crazy philosophy is getting, right? It started with Descartes. I'm going to talk a little bit about it later, uh, where, uh, uh, and, the, and the movie was actually kind of framed after uh, some of his philosophy, if you've seen the movie The Matrix, right? It's like you're going through reality, and yet it's not really real, right? And philosophers have concluded that outside of a biblical worldview, you really cannot prove that what we're going through right now is really real, okay? And so we assume that. You never think about, you know, um, no, this is really real because, okay, yeah, God created the heavens and the earth, and because he's created and he created stuff, that, that, and I believe that, therefore, when I see and talk to my friend Jonathan Walter back there, I'm actually talking to Jonathan Walter. How many of you have ever gone through that thought process before in your life? Okay, I, I do see a couple of hands, right? And so, typically, we don't think about that. And so, that's what we mean by this statement. It's what we think with, not what we think about. Uh, that's what worldviews are composed of, these assumptions. A worldview is, is best expressed through either a narrative, we're going to talk about that a little bit, or in a set of propositions, and its purpose. Okay, so what's the purpose of, the world, of, of having and incorporating and being intentional about a worldview? Well, when you commit yourself to a certain vision of reality, it's going to become your ultimate explainer, okay? When you commit yourself to a certain vision of reality, it becomes your ultimate explainer. Let me give you an example, right? When you and I see death and destruction, when we see ISIS bombing and killing and murdering people, right? We typically view those events through a worldview. By the way, all of you have a worldview. You just don't necessarily know, know that you do. But we all have these assumptions. And typically, as Bible-believing Christians and Seventh-day Adventists, when we look at 
uh, the state and the condition of this world when we see evil going on, and I'm going to talk about that in more detail later on, but one of the ways that we interpret why these things are happening is through uh, because of the sin of Adam. That because Adam introduced sin into this world, right, we now are living in a less than ideal state of affairs. And that is one of the reasons why we see some of the misery, self, and destruction, uh, and misery that's going on today. So when you commit yourself to a vision of reality, it becomes your ultimate explainer. It also provides a meaning, provides meaning, direction, and a sense of destiny to your life. So in other words, if you identify yourself as, 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 a, as a part of the eschatological or end-time remnant church, right, that will provide a certain sense of meaning to your life, right? We have a mission. That mission is to take the everlasting gospel to every nation, tongue, and people. So it gives us a purpose. And then we have a message, the three angels' messages, right? So a worldview is very important in providing a sense of calling, a sense of destiny to one's life. It also helps you to live a life and view reality that's consistent with the biblical framework. Worldviews largely determine people's opinions on matters of ethics and politics. How many of you are, have been reading the news lately and seeing just issue, and we're just bombarded with issue after issue, whether it's the environment or whether it's um, uh, abortion, same-sex relationships, it, it, the public education, uh, economic policy, foreign aid, the use of military force. We could add torture to that. The issue of Guantanamo Bay. Should we close it? Should we keep it open? It goes on, the uh, environmentalism, animal rights, uh, genetic enhancement. Some new studies have come out. What they can do with genes that, that has some ramifications that's in the discussion in the scientific community. Almost every major issue of the day and your opinion on it depends on your underlying worldview more than anything else. By the way, a funny story. Uh, that word euthanasia, when I was, um, and I hate to admit this because I was, I was actually in college by that time, and, um, and uh, uh, a nursing student came to me and said, hey, what do you think about euthanasia? And I was like, the euthanasia? And, and she was like, yeah, the euthanasia. And I was like, I think the euthanasia are doing really, I think they're doing fine. You know, I think they're doing great. Uh, and, um, you know, and actually I was a youth pastor. That shows you that I was probably that savannah, um, but I wasn't attractive. I just didn't know anything. Anyway, um, and so uh, I said, I think the youth, the Adventists, the Adventists in Asia, the youth, I think they're doing good. They're great. And, um, and she said, oh, no, uh, uh, euthanasia. And then she went on to explain what euthanasia means. And I was very humbled and embarrassed for a couple of weeks. So um, 
so pray for me. God, God works in marvelous ways to keep us humble, doesn't he? And praise, praise him for that. But I want to I share something else, right? For example, a big controversial issue, and I don't want to get into all the politics of it. Let's just, let's just divorce ourselves from the politics of it and look at envir- the environment as, a, as an issue, uh, 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 as a biblical issue. Is the environment something that we as Bible-believing Christians should aim to preserve and protect? Absolutely. I mean, if you go to Genesis chapter 126, right, uh, the Bible says, let them have dominion over the earth. Genesis chapter 2.15 says, God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it or to maintain it, right? To, in other words, God placed a responsibility on human beings to care for the earth. So protecting the environment outside of all the politics and the Geneva this and the, the meetings and conferences, outside of all of that, it is a biblical concept. And so we have to understand that and, and ensure that our positions on these items do not come from any news agency, that they're not from MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or Rush Limbaugh, or, and, and the list can go on and on and on. It needs to be formed and grounded in the Word of God, period. And I believe that that is one of the struggles that we are facing today. Another example would be the issue of guns, right? I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, hey, if you, if you own a gun, I, I'm, I've asked my, gun, my wife, I can't ask a gun anything. I've asked my wife, hey, can I get a gun? Uh, and, and just, you know, just there's a lot of people who own guns. And so uh, one of my friends was like, you should get one. I asked my wife, and she's from Canada. And, you know, they're, they're like socialists out there. And, you know, <laughs> she was like, absolutely not. And so, you know, that settled the question. I, I'm never going to own a gun in my life. But there was once a time, and the reason why I bring that up is that there was once a time in the Adventist church where we had a very strong position growing up of, 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 the, of this, this notion of non-combatancy, right? This, this notion that, that Adventists, when we join the military, that, that, that more often than not, we are not going to bear arms. And, and, and therefore, many Adventists went into the military, but they, 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 they engaged in other areas, like as physicians and, and nurses and so forth. And so... Uh, there was once a time where that was really the status quo of the church. But I do believe that, that uh, the, 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 the climate of today has, has shifted the position of many Adventists on that issue. Uh, and, so, and you may disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm just sharing my own personal opinion. But certainly you can agree that very often the media is shaping us more than it should. And that's the point that I want to make with that. So what is the Christian worldview? What is actually shared with uh, the broader community? I want to, it's often, as I mentioned before, it's often expressed as an unfolding narrative. Worldviews are often expressed as an unfolding narrative. And there's typically four central events or themes that, that all of Christianity, including Seventh-day Adventists, hang their hat on. And that is 
uh, the creation, which is an event in history, the fall of man, right? And then you have redemption, and then you have restoration. Uh, Advent sometimes call it glorification. And so these four themes align, as I mentioned, with actual historical events, and, and they are very pivotal and very important uh, as a framework in establishing our worldview. So, for example, how do these events and how do these, um, uh, these, uh, these concepts impact the way we view reality and the world? Well, firstly, creation. You and I derive our sense of identity, our sense of who we are, from the fact that we are created in the image of God, right? And so that informs us uh, of, of, uh, with a sense of who we are at the very core. We are created beings uh, and created by God. The fall provides a sense of why the things are the way they are today. I shared that a little bit earlier. Why evil and, and misery exist in this world? By the way, that's only uh, one component of it. We're going to delve really deeply into that subject matter. And if you're planning on coming to that seminar where I, where I deal with this question of, 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 of these claims that only a perverse God would allow the misery and the suffering and the evil that we're seeing today and for as long as we have been seeing it. Only a perverse God would permit that. These are claims that are being made by the, what's called the new atheists. Four individuals, one of them is, is now dead, but the, the new atheists are leveling these criticisms against Christianity broadly. So the fall provides a sense of why things are the way they are today. And then redemption, or the cross, explains the means by which God is going to make things better, the means through which he is going to restore uh, what's, what, what's, what's happened with the fall back to the creation uh, ideal. So the redemption is the means, and of course restoration and glorification is the ultimate goal or the ultimate destiny that God has in store for all of Christianity. By the way, Seventh-day Adventist Christians as well as the broader evangelical community agree on these four uh, pivotal uh, events in history. I also mentioned that a worldview can be expressed as a set of uh, beliefs. And a well-rounded worldview typically uh, involves a belief or unbelief about God, okay, uh, that he exists, uh, for Christians, that he exists as a personal, all-powerful, loving God. And your belief in God, uh, in turn, impacts your beliefs on, on, on everything else, right? So your belief that because God is the creator, uh, that he uh, created this world, and so the reality we're experiencing now is really real because God said it was so, and he also said that it was good. We believe that 
because Scripture informs us of that, right? So, so it, it informs our belief about reality. It also informs us in, in terms of uh, our knowledge, right? Because we are created in the image, the very image of God, and God being a God of reason has also gifted us with the privilege of, uh, of utilizing uh, our knowledge, our mind, as we observe reality and the things that he has made and the conclusions and the truths that we derive from our observations are, are in fact true. Okay? That, that they, or I should say, they can be true. Sometimes we make false, uh, sometimes our logic is not always 100%. Right? It also uh, uh, informs us in terms of our morality. Right? our sense of right and wrong. Bible-believing Christians believe that there is a universal, objective, right and wrong, meaning a right and wrong, uh, which is true whether you live here on planet Earth or whether you live, you know, on some planet where Enoch was walking around some time ago. Okay? So, so um, that there is the existence of morality. And then, of course... Uh, it informs us in regards to uh, humankind or humanity itself, who we are and what we are. Uh, we're not derived from monkeys over eons and eons of years. We are created beings made in the image of God. I want to share something um, in regards to reality and knowledge. And um, how do we know? I, I kind of jumped ahead uh, a, a little while ago, but I want to explore this just a little bit. How do we know that an external world even exists? Can you prove it, right? Descartes essentially came to a point where he said, you really can't prove it because there's no way that you and I can go outside of ourselves and then view us and see that it's really there and say, yes, reality is real, right? There's no way of doing that. And uh, an illustration, by the way, I had to read uh, Descartes uh, uh, as a political science major uh, eons ago um, at uh, North Carolina, and, and I remember studying, and he, and, and he said this. He said, you know, when you have dreams, for example, sometimes you have dreams, and they appear to be so real, right? And, um, and so it, it's so real that how many of you have ever woken up from a dream and it was so intense and so real to you that you actually had to check and see if your brother was really dead or, you know, or, you know his arm really got chopped off. Um, and I just had a dream recently where that happened, where I think, I think um, my wife got dismembered. And I remember waking up in panic and, and thinking my, my wife had a missing limb and I had to go and check her out, and praise God that um, uh, he was there. Um, and so he goes on to say, hey, you know, if dreams can be so real, then even the reality we're experiencing, it appears so real, but you can't really, really prove that, right? And so uh, this question is raised, and Nancy Pierce is a, a, a conservative evangelical Christian, she asked this question, how do we know that an external world even exists? The most radical empiricists admit that given their premises, we cannot know. 
There is no way to rule out the possibility that we are characters in the matrix, plugged into some supercomputer uh, that is creating the illusion of a physical world. How many of you, before I go any further, have been confronted with ideas like this before? Okay, so I do see, if you go to a secular university, you certainly will be confronted with ideas like this, okay? And it's very, it can be very appealing to the mind. The only adequate basis for our confidence, she says, is the biblical teaching that there is a creator who designed our mental capacities to function reliably in the world that he has created. The doctrine of creation is the epistemological guarantee, right? That word has to do with the study of knowledge. The doctrine of creation is the epistemological guarantee that the constitution of our human faculties conforms to the structure of the physical world. She concludes and says this, humans are made in God's image, and as evidence we can uh, agree with this. Humans are made in God's image. Human reason has the high dignity of reflecting the divine reason. Christianity thus affirms the reliability of human cognitive capacities without becoming rationalistic and turning reason into a god. I really, really appreciate uh, that quote there. And, and by the way, I, I don't want to pick on any uh, particular discipline, but there is one area in the academic world where it's perceived that you do not need God in order to arrive at, at uh, sound conclusions. What, what area would that be? I, I, I'm hearing it, but you're not brave enough. The math and, and, and science, right? It, it's assumed that, hey, you do need God in theology, you do need God when it comes to ethics, but when it comes to science, right, when it comes to science, we do not need God. Our mind and our reason is sufficient in and of itself. And I would like to suggest, and I, I want to say this very, very carefully and, and, and qualify it somewhat, but the scientific method is a method that leaves God out of the picture, number one. In some sense, it is the equivalent of the historical critical methodology of interpreting scripture where theologians leave God, the assumptions that God even exists and that he's real, out of the picture when they interpret scripture. Isn't it odd that there are theologians who are atheists? But in fact, that's true. Right? Many, a great many of atheists, I mean uh, theologians, are actually atheists. And what well, we have to understand that when we truly have a biblical worldview, that even when we engage in science, even when we engage in sociology, even when we engage in English, that God and, and the notion of God must be a part of what we study. It must be included at the very level of our assumptions and, and even our process in deriving truth. 
Ministry of Healing, page 438. Reason must acknowledge an authority superior to itself. Heart and intellect must bow to the great I am. Ministry of Healing, page 438. One of the greatest evils that attends the quest for knowledge, the investigations of science, is the disposition to exalt human reasoning above its true value and its proper sphere. They endeavor to determine the nature and attributes and prerogatives of God and indulge in speculative theories. And this can be pursued only at the peril of one's soul. Only at the peril of one's soul. As we conclude, we're going to end a little bit early for this session. I just want to make an application and and bear in mind that what we're establishing here, number one, is the need, the necessity to be intentional about developing a worldview, right? An understanding uh, which will inform how we interpret the world and give meaning and a sense of direction and a calling uh, in not just in, in church life, but in the workplace and in every aspect of life. Having a Christian worldview is not just about answering intellectual questions. It also means following biblical principles in the personal and practical spheres of life. Christians can be infected by secular worldview not only in their beliefs, but also in their practices. You know, when you look at various ministries, for example, and and methods that we utilize to advertise, right? Where do we gain our techniques? Where do we gain our methods? Well, we typically gain our methods and our techniques from the world, right? And oftentimes we don't filter those methods, right, through the principles of Scripture, right? We just take it for granted. And it's merely, a, and, and even evangelism has, has simply become a, a matter of, of looking at statistics. You know, if you hand out so many, uh, th- for every thousand handbills you, you, you mail out, you're going to get like, what, a couple percent, one uh, uh, or two percent is it? I don't know, there's some evangelists in here. I forget what the exact numbers are. Um, is, it, is it what, one or two percent, Adam? Point, okay. So for every thousand handbills that you hand out, you get point, not even a person, right? Not even a person. Uh, And and so what we often do is we simply rely on statistics and methods and we follow, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? It's it's good to be informed uh, on on our business practices and know what the, the stats are and the research and so forth. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But what I am saying is that when we engage in any enterprise, we have to make sure that we are, number one, trusting in God, and number two, that our methods are consistent with the principles of God, right? And, and for example, what's really big today is media. I was just talking to one of the, the gentlemen, D. Casper is his name. He's, he has a media ministry, and he wants... 
he was sharing his passion for media ministry. He shared, he was, I was uh, by him as we shared our presentations uh, last night. And he was saying, and, and I was really impressed what he was saying. He was saying, we need to do media in a way that's, that's grounded in the principles of Scripture. And having said that, media is, is a great need for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Wouldn't you agree with that? That media is truly, rightly utilized, can be a very, very effective tool to spread the gospel to this world. And so my appeal is be thoughtful. Think about the principles of Scripture, the events that we talked about, and, and the core beliefs of Christianity. And does it inform why you want to be a doctor, why you want to be a lawyer? Does it inform how you practice law? Does it inform how you uh, uh, plan out your day? All these things, uh, our biblical worldview must and should inform every aspect and component of our life. This is my prayer, and I pray that it is also your wish and your desire And let's go ahead and stand as we close out this session uh, with a word of prayer. And by the way, the next next section will deal with uh, the Adventist worldview, not what's shared, but we'll be going through what's distinctive to Adventism. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for revelation, what we call special revelation that comes in the form of the Word of God. We also thank you for the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts, that speaks to our minds, that speaks to every faculty of our being. We pray that we will devote ourselves in our devotional life, in prayer and study of your Word. Having said that, we pray that we'll be responsible. Lord, help us to uh, dig into Scripture. The work of studying the Bible is not just for the pastor. It's not just for the theologian. The Bible was given to all of mankind so that all of us, like the farmer Miller, William Miller, study the Word of God. We pray that it will be our diligent study, that we might be settled and grounded in the truth. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.